0: Trust is something that must be earned. In order for you to trust in someone or something, there has to be some experience that you've had with that person or that thing. You just don't necessarily trust in someone if there isn't someone telling you that they've observed their life or you have personally seen them do something that calls you to trust them. Trust is fleeting in our world today. There's reasons not to trust people. And when you do trust someone, you're willing to go below surface with them and share and open up with them because they've built trust in your system of trust. Trust is evident in the choices that you make today, this past week, and this coming year. Trust is something that is observed. It's based upon experience. And it's something that's tangible. Jesus is about to address this subject with his disciples and the many other that are gathered on this mountain slope. And he's about to encourage them that they need to trust in him in a way maybe that they haven't. So he surfaces this this message today because he knew that in this group there were many that weren't trusting him completely. And some of you in this room today and in the link and across the internet aren't trusting him completely. And when we choose not to trust, a byproduct of not trusting is somewhere else that trust that should be in him is shifted. And it's normally shifted to us. We trust in our own abilities, our own things. We trust in things that are temporary as opposed to things that are eternal like Jesus. And what comes out of that, the byproduct of not trusting in Jesus is we begin to worry. And so all across our world, all across the world since it's been the beginning of time are people who worry because they haven't placed total trust in Jesus. And so you have this tension that you live with. If I don't trust in Jesus, then something else has to give. And the give is, I'll worry about it because I can't totally trust in something that's temporary. And so what happens is, worry is the byproduct of not trusting in Jesus. Now what does worry do to us? If you're prone to worry, or you do worry, or you're worrying if you do or are a worrier, then this is what happens to you. Worry means to strangle. Worry means to choke off. Worry means to distract. Worry means to divide. And so you've had a multiple re- you've had multiple reasons this week to consider worrying about something. A relationship, an investment, a dating, girl that you like to date, a guy you like to date, a son, a child, a husband, a wife a business venture, a a, a sick person, an illness, you've had reason, if you wanted to, to say, I won't trust in Jesus, I'll take it myself, and a byproduct of not trusting in Jesus, you worry. So what do you get for worrying? You get strangled, you get choked off, you get distracted, you get divided. Good deal, huh? And so we, we walk through our lives thinking that if we hold on to it, we can do a better job than what Jesus can. And so the byproduct is our world and Christianity is infiltrated with people who worry. Jesus also gave us a, a good verse to look at in his word. And it says this. Just listen to this before we move on. Titus 1 16 says this. Don't turn there. Just listen. They claim to know God. I'm a follower of Jesus. I go to Grace Community Church. I was born again at 12. I got baptized at 17. They claim to know God. I take my children to church. I lead my family. I'm a member of this church. I have a Bible. They claim to know God. But by their actions, they deny him, Titus 1.16. They claim to know, but by their actions, they deny him. And so there is this sense where you and I can claim, yes, we're Christ followers all the way in. But what happens when a trouble or hardship comes? Do you still claim to know God? Do your actions or do your actions deny what you claim to be true? This passage says, they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They are detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. Detestable, disobedient, and unfit for doing anything good. So, when trials, hardships, troubles come our way, if we claim to know God, but our actions deny him, we are Disobedient, we are detestable, we are unfit for doing anything good. That's what a worrier is. So, is that what you want to be known by? In other words, if you claim to know God and you live your life in such a way that it doesn't look like you believe in God, you're no better off than a Christian atheist. And that's a paradox. How can you say that you believe in God, but you're living your life out as a Christian atheist? Your actions deny what your beliefs are. And so Jesus is addressing this. And he's going to address it with us today. And he's going to ask you the question, do you believe? Then when this hardship comes, what's the first words out of your mouth? Complain? Negative? It's too hard? It's too difficult? If that's the case, guess what? You are a worrier. And guess what? That is called sin. Sin. I'll put it out there. If you worry, you're sinning. There is never a time that you worry that it's not sin. And so sin is a byproduct of not trusting in Jesus. You might say, well, you know, I'm I'm just prone to worry. My father's that way, my wife's that way, my kids are that way. Well, you're just prone to sin then. Jesus addresses this. Grab your Bibles, and we're going to go on a journey how to address worry. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Hold your hand up if you need a Bible. Ushers will be glad to put one in your hand. I'll say this again as a repeat. If you need a Bible, take this. Take it home with you. This is our gift from Grace Community Church. And when you do so, bring the other nine that you have at home back next week. And we'll pass it on to someone else. This isn't meant for you to stack them up at home. Turn to Matthew chapter 6. And let's look at verses 25 through 34. Who do you trust is what Jesus is going to ask. If you don't trust him then you're going to worry. Stand with me. We'll read it together. Read your own Bible too. I encourage you to read husbands. Lead the way. Read your Bible, not your wife's Bible. Matthew chapter 6, verse 25 through 34. Let's read this out loud together. Ready? Read. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life and what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to his life? And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. Is that how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into fire? Will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Thank you for reading. You have a seat. Worry, then, is an indicator that you are holding on to something temporary. Because if you were holding on to Jesus, you would not worry. And so worry is an indicator. So each time that you worry, you're saying, I'm holding on to something temporary. I'm holding on to this temporary investment, this temporary bank account, this temporary relationship, this temporary vehicle, this temporary job, this temporary dating relationship, this temporary, temporary, temporary. When you worry, you're holding on. It's indicating that you're holding on to something temporary. Jesus opens this teaching. And I've said this before. Look at verse 25. Anytime you see the word therefore, you should ask the question, what is the therefore? And so when Jesus is teaching, he opens his teaching and he says, therefore. So I back away when I read scripture and I say, oh, hold on, pause. Why is and what is the therefore? And so automatically you got to go back. you got to go back to the most recent paragraph and say, This is why the there is for, and this is what the there is for. So let's look back. Let's look back at verse 19. Jesus says, therefore, in verse 25, the there is for because of this. Look at verse 19. Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in where? Where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your what will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Then Jesus wraps us up by saying this. No one can serve how many masters? Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then the next word is, therefore. You cannot serve both God and money. Therefore, do not worry. Jesus is saying it's impossible If you think you can serve two masters and live in such a way where worry doesn't surface. The reason we worry is because we're still trying to hold on to the temporary and serve us and serve our needs as opposed to holding on to Jesus. You can't serve Jesus and anyone else at the same time. When you do, you will worry. So he's looking at his disciples who have these patterns and behaviors of worry. I'm sure that doesn't surface in Grace Community Church. None of you ever worry about anything. And so maybe this message, facetious here. The point is this. If you are in a pattern and a behavior of worry, guess what? You're walking in sin. Point blank. Ladies, if you're married to a husband and something surfaces, something... All hell breaks loose in your house, in your finances, in your home, in your health, whatever it is, and he begins to worry. Don't pacify him. Look at him and say, Pastor Jim told me to say it. You're sinning, husbands. If your wives are in a pattern of worry, don't pacify her and say, "Oh, baby, come here." I'm Look at her and say, and proudly say, "You know what? You're a sinner. Pastor Jim said so. You are sinning when you are worrying. Jesus says this, he opens it up. I tell you, Grace Community Church, I tell you, Pastor Jim, I tell you, all the other Christ followers, do not worry. And what happens is this, he's looking at his disciples and said, basically, what you're doing when you worry, you're acting like a Christian atheist. There is bondage when you worry, there is bondage when you choose to hold on to something temporary. You basically enslave yourselves to this world and this system of worry and bondage. And Jesus is saying, do not worry. He says, what you will eat or drink or about your body or what you will wear, is not life more important than food and the body more important than clothes? And so Jesus is saying, basically, it's a freedom and bondage issue. Let me demonstrate for you a second here. Many people who claim to know God, Titus 1.16, I love Jesus. I love Jesus. But their actions deny what their belief is. Live in bondage. And so some of you walked into the service today. I'm a Christ follower and it was time for worship. You were in bondage. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. And so you're in this bondage. It's because you've chosen not to trust in God. But some of us like this. We like holding on. We'd like taking what God had intended to work out in our lives and hold it ourselves. We enjoy this picture. And some of us even will pacify each other. Yeah, I'm a warrior too. Come on, let's be in bondage together. Let's go to jail. Hell yeah. This isn't the picture of a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ. And the reason you're in bondage is because you won't let go of something that's temporary. Oh, but if I let go of that, that's what gives me security, that 501. Oh, that, that gives me security. And what happens is you begin to worry when this breaks open. And Jesus is saying the only way you can get free is if you let go of the temporary. stuff. But some of you are like, You're one arm. It's like, God, I'll praise you with this arm, but you know, holding on here. And so when it comes to your worship, it comes to your life, you are a Christian atheist. Jesus came to set us free. Jesus came to allow us to worship in spirit and truth. Jesus wants you to be free and not in bondage. So if you choose to worry, Oh, I worry. I worry what's going to happen when, when I get this new job. I worry what's going to happen when I go to college. I worry what's going to happen when I date her. I worry what's going to happen if I change jobs. I worry what's going to happen if I'm out on my own. And if you do that, listen to me, it's called sin. And I'm going to give you a prescription to free yourself up today. This could be the greatest news you've ever received. I believe it's one of the primary reasons that so many people live beyond or below their redemptive potential. It might be you today, but you got to be open to it. And so Jesus looking at his disciples say, hey, are you going to live in sin and worry and be in bondage? Or are you going to be free to be who I want you to be? Anytime you hold on to something that's not permanent, then you will worry. This treasure, this relationship, this car, this date, this bank account, this home that I live in, whatever it is, whatever you're holding on to for security that's not in Jesus Christ, you are sinning. So Jesus says, do not worry. Worry is a control issue who will be in control of your life. And so what you do when you worry, you say, well, I'm going to be in control of my life. There's too much fear here. I don't want to walk out there. I don't want to be part of that. And so what you do, you take control of your life. What you've done is put yourself back in bondage. And so here I am, I'm a Christ follower. I've been saved since I've been since seven years old. Look at me, praise God, one hand. And some of you are like this, let's praise God. I'll give you a bump, but I'll never let shake your hand. And so Jesus is saying, do not worry, trust in me. And so he's looking at his disciples. He said, you got control issues. You got control issues. You got worry issues. And until you get over this worry, you will never be all that Christ wants you to be. And so he's going to show us a a prescription to how to become free of this. And so the picture of this, worry means to strangle. Worry is literally taking and putting a noose around your neck. Now picture this for a second. Have you ever seen a dog that's been tied up to a chain that's in a yard that has a chain or a rope attached to it? And so he can only go so far. This is the picture of someone who chooses to worry, who chooses to hold on. Have you ever run by a home or run by a yard where there's a dog and it knows you're coming and it's chained up and it comes running at you and it comes at you and you're running by and, it's, and it barks. This is the picture of someone who chooses to worry. You can only go so far. You have this safe zone. I'm not going any further. You strangle, choke off, divide, and distract who you're supposed to be. And so all across America, all across churches, are these people who choose to live like this. Is this the picture of a redeemed follower of Jesus Christ? If you choose to worry, this is you. And all across this room, you have the choice: will I live my life like that? And that's the picture. That's what happens in our world. And so what happens then is this. You only can only go so far. That's too far out. It's not safe there. I feel safe in this zone. I don't, there's fear over there. If I get out here, or do that on my own. If I get that job, if, if I release this, but if I give that up to God. And so you walk in a circle. Have you ever seen a dog that's been chained up and that's his whole life? And all they do is run in a circle and this just this circle of trench around and round, it's this merry-go-round, and that's the picture of us, those who worry. It's just this merry-go-round of worry. And so Jesus says, get off of the merry-go-round of worry. Because if you don't, you will never live to what the potential I've created you to live. And so Jesus said, Is not life more important than anything else? Then he says this. Look what he says in verse 26. He gives an illustration. He says, look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Who of you, by worrying, can add a single hour to his life? Then he says again, why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor. They do not spend. So think through that. Ask yourself this question. Are you a person who labors and toils and spends and frets and is distracted over things around you? Jesus said, look at the birds of the air. I picture him. He probably grabbed a bird. Maybe there were some birds that flew by. He says, consider this bird. Do you think this bird ever worries about being fed? Have you ever walked outside and and saw a sparrow, a starling in your backyard and it has a feather and it's going like this? I wonder where I'm going to get fed. Have you ever considered that? Have you ever, have you ever seen a robin when it's in your backyard and it's digging in the ground, it's trying to find a worm, and you're walking by and it whispers, help me find a worm, please. The picture is, no, they don't even process those thoughts. And Jesus said, then why should you? Why should you worry when I, when I, I promise to provide for you, when I promise to care for you? Don't be like that. Trust in me. And so Jesus has this picture That if I'm actively feeding the birds, guess what? I'm going to feed you and you and you and you and you and you. If, in fact, I'm willing to do that for a bird that doesn't have a soul, I'm willing to do that for a person, human being who has a soul that I sent my son to die on the cross for. I'm going to care for you. So you don't need to spend all your time trying to control your life. Trust me. A couple of weeks ago, I was out on my front porch. Let me give you an illustration, how it, it just came to light, and I was thinking through, I had read through this a couple months back. And so I'm thinking about this story. Out on our porch, on our front porch at home, we have three columns. We have three columns, one left, one in the middle, one on the right. And on the top of these columns, under the porch, is about a three-and-a-half-inch ledge. And so I had taken some two-by-fours up on that ledge and turned them up on their, their side so that birds could nest on top of these columns. Because they found their way in And they would begin to nest So I thought I had taken care of the problem With these two by fours That were up on top of these columns Just a few days ago I walked out on my front porch And I noticed down at the far column I noticed that there were all these bird droppings Just bird droppings everywhere And I was thinking How did they get there? Did they fly up? And so I walked over And I noticed that that Up on the, the, the ledge Somehow a bird had found a spot About an inch big To to, to stand on. I thought it was perching on there. So I didn't think much of it and moved on. And, and a couple of nights later in the evening, I walked out on my porch and I looked down at this column and I saw this bird, the sparrow. It had squeezed into the spot about an inch wide. It had to back into the spot because its beak was out. And it was sleeping on top of this column. It had found a spot. Where I, and so Next day, I let the bird sleep there. I said, I'll fix that. So I took and turned the two by four this way, flat ways, to cover the spot. And so, thought I had taken care of it. A couple of days later, thought I would taken care of the bird. I walked out, and I noticed that the second column had bird droppings coming from it. This bird had moved from this column to this column. And at that point, I realized, I'm going to alter God's plan for you, birdie. And so I put... The two by four this way, and I moved down and turned the other one. But do you think that that bird, that night after I did that, sat up on that perch and wondered, where am I going to sleep tonight? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to go? Jesus said, if they don't fret and worry over it, then nor should you because you are much more valuable than them. Your Bible says, and my Bible says, your heavenly Father feeds them. In other words... In his busy schedule, if he's actively feeding sparrows that are temporary, he'll take time to surely feed you and provide for you. Worry is us carrying a burden that we were never intended to carry. Worry is you and I carrying a burden that we were never intended to carry. Pause a second again and consider this. Worry is sin. Every time you fret over something, you cause separation between you and God. And the byproduct of that is a whole bunch of bad stuff that's going to happen to you. It is sin. Worry is when our eyes are focused on us, our strength. Worry causes us to have a depth grip on our lives. It causes us to be in bondage. I got to hold on to that last investment because I only got six more weeks. And, and so we fret and worry, how much longer will this six weeks last? Or when it's all gone, I still want to hold on to nothing. Instead of leaning on to God, We worry. Worry is utter nonsense. Worry is utter sin. Worry is utter depravity gone bad. Worry keeps you and I from enjoying life. It keeps you from walking in freedom. It is impossible to worship God and truly love him with all of us and worry. Those two don't walk hand in hand. It's impossible. It it hinders your relationship with Jesus Christ. You cannot be all that Christ wants you to be by being a worrier. At our home, in our master bedroom, we have two sinks. Ann has a sink, and I have a sink, and the counter is connected with two separate mirrors. And our sinks from time to time get clogged. And to be quite frank, Ann's sink gets clogged from time to time. Mine doesn't as much. She uses more lotions and, and, and other sprays, and it's just a natural byproduct of men and women. And so from time to time, her sink will get clogged. And so when it gets clogged, she works her way over to mine until the clog is fixed. And so what happens is that drain gets junk attached to it. It gets leftovers and reservoirs of stuff that we don't use, and it attaches to the drain. It gets down in the trap. And what happens, it blocks, it restricts, it chokes off the water flow. And so you need to correct it. And so for 39 cents... You can correct that problem. And so this appeared one time, and I I saw it, and I I ordered it, 39 cents, cheap, $150 shipping. It took care of it. (laughs) So literally, I put, they get you on the shipping big time. So anyhow, I ran this wire down in the drain. By the way, these things work in an incredible way, 39 cents took it down inside, you work down in, it has like a Velcro strip on the end, you work its way back, and slowly by slowly, you get rid of the stuff that's temporary. You get rid of the stuff that's clogging the drain. Three or four or five times down, you turn on the water, it goes straight through. Jesus is saying, there is a prescription there is a tool, and he's about to show us. There is something that you and I can implement in our lives that acts like this 39-cent declogger for the drain. And I'm going to show you in a few minutes what that was. Our lives are not intended to be clogged. They're intended to free, f- freely flow. And so Jesus is looking at these disciples and saying, Hey, do not worry. When you do... You claim to know me, but your actions deny who I am. They are detestable. They are disobedient. You are unfit as a follower of Christ when you worry. Pause for a second and think through that. Jesus has given us a beautiful picture of what we should do and what we shouldn't do. Worry, by the way, is a horrible investment. Look again at the end of verse 27. Jesus says this. Who of you? Jim? Jim? Who of you, Grace Community Church, by worrying can add a single hour to our life? How can you add an hour to your life by worrying? Worrying is a horrible investment. There's no part of worrying to think, like, boy, I'm glad I've only did 10 minutes today. It's like, it's horrible. There's no part of worrying that's ever good. It it subtracts. It's like, it, it's like it takes literally hours, weeks, months, years off your life. It's like the... the investor coming to your house and say, hey, would you like to invest in some worry? I promise that it will take 10 years off. your life. where would I sign up? And so some of you have just signed a line. Yeah, I'm going to take 10 years off my life. I'm going to take five years off my life. I'm going to take three years off my life. And so he's here, sign it. And so worry is saying, I'm going to invest the most horrible thing <laughs> there is. Think about that for a second the next time you begin to worry. It's a horrible investment. It takes months, years, potentially. You get to stand before God one day. And he he looks at you and he says, you know what? You took 10 years off your life because you didn't trust me. You wanted to hold on to yourself. You didn't think I was strong enough and big enough. You didn't trust me. Worry also does some other things. To your health experts tell us this, that worry can often lead to cancer. Worry can lead to ulcers. Worry can lead to sleep deprivation. Worry can lead to weight gain. Worry can lead to a shorter health span. Anybody want to sign up for that? That's what happens when we worry. There's nothing about worry that benefits a Christ follower. And so Jesus is saying, he, he He knew the bunch. He says, You you better stop worrying. You stop worrying. You stop worrying. You in the back row, quit worrying. You in the back row, quit worrying. Cameraman, quit worrying. Tech guy, quit worrying. You in the link, don't worry. You are reducing the span of your life and the impact of your life for others. Worry is a trust issue. Look at verse 28. Look what Jesus says. And why do you worry about clothes? See how the lilies of the field grow? They do not labor or spend. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. By the way, grass and dried flowers during the ancient time, when they would dry up, they would ball them up and and wind them together, and they would throw them into ovens. It was like wood to keep the fires hot. He's saying, why why, why be like that that's here today and it's going tomorrow? It's just temporary. Look what else he says. He says, then he says this, "'Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith?' so do not worry saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. I really feel the tone of the message change right here. Obviously, it's my own personal opinion. I believe Jesus was talking about birds and and all of a sudden the tone changed. I really feel like it got personal for him. I believe he looked at him and said, What's the purpose of worrying? Why do you worry? I believe the tone kind of changed. And I believe he, he looked at him and said, haven't I done enough that you can trust me? Haven't I shown you after the time you spent with me? Why do you still worry? Because he says, oh, you of little faith. Oh, you of little faith. And he knew who he was talking to. Oh, you of little faith. I believe he took it personal. And I believe the tone changed because as, wouldn't, it, wouldn't it be the same for you? As a husband, imagine your wife not trusting you. Imagine this, this horrific thing happening in your home. Something breaks down. Maybe, maybe there's a fire. Maybe there's this horrible thing happening. And, and, and it's, it's a horrible time. There's troubles. Trials and hardship are part of the Christian walk. And imagine her saying, you know what? You get in together and say, hey, hey, baby, let's pray about it. We can work through this in the power of God. And she says, no, I'm, I'm going to go over to the neighbor's house. I'm, they're, they're, that, that family over there, they got a husband and a dad. And I, I'm going to ask him to walk me through this. <laughs> Wouldn't I just level you as a husband? I think this did for Jesus. Because he had poured his heart out and he had taught them. And he had, he, had, he had lived out a life that demonstrated just faith. And all of a sudden, he looks at him and he says, oh, you of little faith haven't I done enough to prove to you that there's a living God? I think it was a personal moment for him. And he's saying, you were worried about your Nikes and your Tommy Hilfikers and your Abercrombie and Fitches and your Levi's. And am I not who I said I was? Then he looks and says, consider the lilies of the field. Do you think they just bloom on their own? He said, they don't toil and wonder what's going to happen next. They don't spin around and say, as you walk through the yard, your hydrangeas don't say, water me, water me, water me. They don't say, more fertilizer. Did you ever walk out in your yard during the summer when we had that drought and your grass screamed, brown sprinkler, brown water? Did, did, did they ever say that to you and call your name out? Did your grass, did you ever hear them whispering, I want water, I want water, I want water? no. They don't toil or they spin around in a circle in that merry-go-round of worry. They don't even ponder those thoughts. They just know that God is going to take care of them. And he says, if I'm doing that for them, why wouldn't I do it for you? Will God not clothe you? If he can actively care for petunias, daisies, and Kentucky bluegrass, can he certainly find you a deal at Kohl's or, or the Salvation Army? Jesus said, I can care for you. And then an obvious truth that often gets mistranslated here. I've heard it over and over and over and over again. And it goes something like this. Well, God said he's going to provide for me. That's what you said, Pastor Jim. Then I don't need to do anything. God's going to provide for everything. That's what it says. Will he not do this? Or am I not more important? So what happens is we'll retreat. We'll say, well, God's going to take care of it. We are not... To sit back and do nothing either. It's like the person coming to you and saying this. They're saying, well, I need a job. And so you ask them, have you filled out a resume? No, God's going to provide. He promises. I'm a Christ follower. God will provide. Or someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, I, I, I just lost my job and, 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 and I don't, I, you know, uh, and so what are you doing? Well, I'm going to take like six months off and really pray about it. Well, you need to take about six hours off and pray during that six hours. You need to do something. So you have these people that somehow take this and, and and over-spiritualize this that, well, God's going to provide. Listen, God never called us to be lazy either. We have responsibility. Maybe there's six hours we're praying and listening. Maybe there's six hours we're, we're getting with the multiple counselors and we're cleaning information. Maybe for those six days, we're, we're looking back and we're seeing maybe some things that we can change. But listen to me, you better fill out some resumes. You better be active. God never sent his son Jesus to die on a cross so we can sit on the couch and wait for him to provide for us. But he does provide, but we have responsibility. You know, I've seen it happen in many ways. I, I hear people say this, you know, I'm, I'm waiting for that special girl, that special guy. Praise God that you are. And so they sit back. It's like, so what are you doing? Or I'll often say, someone says, I know God's going to provide a special wife. And they'll say, what should I do? Number one, work at your relationship with Jesus Christ. You do what you can to draw closer to Jesus. And then you pray. And so you have these people over-spiritualize things like this, say, well, God's going to provide a wife. It's like somehow a UPS truck's going to pull in your house, this big box, come knocking at your door, and you open up and there's this gorgeous woman that you've been waiting for as guys. It's like, come on. There's people to believe this stuff. I often say, the Bible tells us in Proverbs that he who finds a wife finds a good thing. That means, men, you're proactive, you're asking, you're pursuing. It might mean this too. It might mean that you brush your teeth and trim your nose hairs and eat some Listerine to help that process. But we're proactive in doing that too. Same for you, ladies. If you desire and that's, you feel like that's God's call in your life to meet a man and, and be married, get yourself in his way. He does the asking, he does the pursuing, but everywhere he goes, there you are. Make it obvious. Do something on your end too. Don't over-spiritualize that like God sends these cartons. There's the answer. We have responsibility. And but many people pull away. Well, I, I, you know, I hope God makes me better. Yet they refused to eat right. They refused to exercise. They refused to get off of the couch. God never called us to laziness. God called us to be on mission and do what we can in our part. And then he adds to that process. Okay, back away for a second and think about this. Laziness isn't part of God's will. When it comes to doing our part, we should do our part. Faith without works is dead And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to provide. I provide for the lilies. I provide for the grass, even beautiful, beautiful flowers. But listen, oh, you have little faith. Faith without works is dead. You have responsibility too. Picture for a second though. You're standing at the Bema seat. Christ has raptured the church. He calls your name, however that looks. You walk to the throne of God. Jesus is the judge. I believe a variety of things are going to happen in that time. One is, I think we can limit how God used us on earth based upon the health choices that we've made. And so we limit how God could use us. I also believe this is the case. I believe that we could stand before God because we have trusted in ourselves and been enslaved to the temporary stuff and we've been worriers that God says, hey, this is what I took off your life. This year, this year, this year this year, this year, this year, this year. And the reason I took it off is because you worried. This is what could have happened if you trusted me. And then he fast forwards and the impact that we could have had as Christ followers would be off the charts. Listen to me, this is serious information here. You might as well cut me off the knees if Jesus said that. Wouldn't that just rip the heart out of our father God? it all begins in our minds. So what do you do? How do you process this? Most of us in this room and in the link and across the internet have email addresses. So what happens is you have an email, you have a note that comes in. And if you have an email account, most email accounts even have a spam filter, a spam email inbox. And so the messages that you're supposed to read go into your inbox. And then there's this group that comes called spam. All day long, Jesus gives us messages that we know to be true that go to our inbox. All day long, the enemy sends us spam messages. And he tells us these lies. You'll never amount to anything. You can't do that. That's too hard. That's too difficult. If you, and he trust in yourself. Hey, don't trust in Jesus. And so this message comes. And what we need to do, the same we do with our spam, is to grab a hold of that thought. Take it captive. When it's in the spam filter, what you're supposed to do with your spam filter is spam. Hit delete. So if you don't hit delete, then you're reading things that you're not supposed to be filling your mind with. Often what happens is the spam filter sends a virus spam. And so if you open up an email that was meant to be deleted, you can infect yourself with a virus. It's the same thing with Satan. He sends these thoughts. We need to grab a hold of it, spam filter, hit delete. But you know what we like to do? Some of us even, we'll put it in the spam filter. And some of us will even hit delete. But then it drops down to our our recycle bin, our trash box. And so we wonder, I wonder what that was all about. I wonder if there's anything good about that. Maybe I'll go back and just read it and bring it up as something that's important. So we highlight it and bring it back. And Jesus said, no, capture it, hit delete, empty the trash, let it go. A couple weeks ago, after a first service, this thought came to me. And I was like, no, this can't be true. It it, it came during a message. And at the end of the message, I was like, I need to do something with this thought that came. If I don't do something with this thought, it's going to mess up second and third service preaching. And so I walked back into this room, sat down at the chair, and I said, Jim, capture that thought, because the spam filter got a hold of it. Take it, delete it, and then feed yourself troops that are noble, trustworthy, and feed yourselves the truths of his word. So here's what you do. Something comes and replace that thought with the promises of God. And so you know what I often do? I'll take that thought captive. I'll replace it with the truth of God's word. And sometimes I'll just read scripture out loud. Sometimes I'll turn on worship music and sing my horrible guts voice out to God and just praise to him. I am removing that thought and filling my mind and my inbox with truths. It's hard work, but it's doable. So thought comes, capture, delete, read the stuff that you're supposed to read in the inbox, the messages that God is sending you, the promises of his word, a person that's soaked in God's word removes worry from their lives. It's not rocket science. We can do this. And Jesus is looking at this group said, hey, do not worry, or otherwise you'll be entrenched and enslaved. Jesus also told them this. Look at verse 31 of Matthew chapter 6. Look what Jesus said. Jesus said this, So do not worry, saying, what will you eat or drink? Or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. And then he says this. Here's the answer. Here's the answer. Here's Dr. Jesus. Here's his prescription. And so he took out he wrote his prescription. He said, Here, take this to Jesus. Here's your answer. Here's how you can overcome worry. And look what he says in verse 32. He says, but what? See, come on, help me out. First his What? And his what? And all these things will be what? Given to you as what? So here's the answer. Listen to me, grace community. Here's the answer. Jesus said, if you want to get rid of worry in your life and you don't want to walk down that path, seek me in his righteousness and his kingdom. And then he says this Have you ever connected these? He says, Then all these things will be given to you as well. What things? What things? By the way, this isn't a blanket promise. This isn't given to everybody. This isn't for someone who chooses to stay on that merry-go-round of worry. This is a a, a conditional promise. He says, I will give you, I will walk through you, I will clothe you, I will feed you, I will give you the, the ability to overcome this. He says, if you trust me, I'll give it to you. It's a conditional promise. But here's the problem, though. Many of you don't let God give you that promise. And you wonder why. Why is my life such a wreck? Why is it that, that they're getting the answers that they need? Why does it seem like that, that somehow they can walk through that? Where's God at? Where's he at? And you're walking in this worry, and Jesus says, I'm not going to bless you until you let go of the worry. You can't have worry and blessing at the same time. It's conditional. I don't know if you've ever connected that, but that's what it says. So until you give up your worry, God's not going to bless you with all these things plus more. So what do you want? Do you want to overcome fear? Do you want the hand of God on your life? Then guess what? You got to let go of the noose around your neck. You got to get off the merry-go-round of worry. And until you do, you will never receive what it says. Look, it says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. It's only given to those who seek him, who run after him, who trust him, who release themselves of all the worry in their lives. And so there's the answer. There's the prescription. So some of you, you know what? You just choose to hold on. You wonder, how come God doesn't hear me? Because there's separation. How come there's no answers? Because you refuse to let go. Let go. Let go. And don't take it back. So he wraps up this promise by saying this. Therefore, verse 34, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. So he looks at the disciples and said, hey, by the way, there will be things that could surface in your life that are difficult. There are things that'll come that are trials and troubles. You will always have those. And what he says is this. You will never run out of tomorrows full of trouble and trials. By the way, if anyone ever tells you that when you come to Jesus Christ, that you have a trial-free or trouble-free life, it's a lie from the pit of hell. But Jesus does promise this, us this, that he will walk us through it. And there will be days when it feels like hell on earth. But listen, he never leaves you nor forsakes you. It's your time to run to him and he can hold you. But when you worry about it then you will never get all these things added to you that he speaks about. Help, clothing, answers. So the question is this today. Who are you? Are you this person? Oh God, bless me. Help me with this situation, God. Oh God, help me. Help me, God, help me. Help me, God, help me. But you refuse to let go. Or are you the person who says, God, I trust you. Or are you this guy right here, this guy right here, and just your life, you're saying, well, I'm just prone to worry. My father and his father and his mother and his sister, and I can't overcome this. It's just part of my makeup. Well, just walk in sin the rest of your life and never receive the blessing of God. Here's the reason I believe we don't trust God. I honestly believe that we've lost the awe and wonder of who God is. I really believe that we don't believe God is who he says he is. I believe we've left the troubles and hardships of our lives kind of squished God out, and we forget that he's an omnipotent, all-knowing, all-loving God that longs to help his children. I believe we lost the awe of God. I believe if your life has a pattern of worry, then you don't know who God is. You've forgotten who he was. You've squished God out. I firmly believe this with all my heart, it'll affect your worship. People come in and they worship God on a Sunday morning, but they're enslaved. They're entrenched. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Their worship is listless because they carry in control in their lives. And so their worship looks like this. They claim to know God, but their actions, they deny him. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. This is the picture. Jesus said, that's not the picture. Maybe, just maybe, we need to get on our knees and repent and say, God, I am so sorry. Who do I think I am that I can control my life better than you can? God, you are the omnipotent, all-knowing, and you created me in a fearful and wonderful way and I'm living way below my redemptive potential. Forgive me, God, forgive me. I think that needs to happen in Christianity where we go back and say, our God is awesome. Our God is wonderful. Our God is omnipotent, all-powerful, and I just choose to believe it. And when I walk through hardships, I know I can lean on him. That's what people do. That choose to strip themselves of worry and hold on to the truths of his word. And when you do, you are free. God, help us today. I know in this room, God, that hardships happen. We all face them, God. But it's what we do with those that directly impacts how we live. God, I think we've forgotten who you are. I think we need to repent and release control back over to you. I really do, God. I think there needs to be a revival of our hearts. Somehow we just, we, we manage our worry. Like, that's what Christians do. No, that isn't what Christians do. They give up the right to worry and they trust you. So maybe that's you today. Maybe this hits you like, a bullet right between the eyes, and you're saying, That's me. If that's you, just do something right now. Let's let's get it right. Just repent and say, God, I'm sorry. I repent. I repent for somehow thinking that I was arrogant enough to believe that that I can control my life better than you can. I'm sorry, God. God, I promise to run from this pattern renew my heart, restore my faith. May my actions line up with what I believe and claim to know about you. God, give me a new, fresh breath from heaven. Help me to see you the way you really are. Return the all and wonder of the living God. May I never go back, God, never. Our Bibles tell us that Jesus is stronger, bigger. He's the healer. And nothing can stand against him when we release our worries and trust him. God, may we be people who see you in that light. May we never turn back. And may we know that you are bigger, stronger, greater, and the healer of all. Oh, God, bring freedom. May it change our worship. May it change our witness. May it change our homes and our communities. Give us back the awe and wonder of you, God, please. In Jesus' name, amen.